0: And I'm the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. Well, we've got another good week. Uh, my kids are back in in-person school learning. Of course, you know they've got to wear the face mask, social distance, and some sports are back. Some sports are not. I'm talking about you know for for the kids. I've got uh, one in baseball. I took him to his first baseball practice last night. And, of course, you know, had to wear a face mask while in the dugout, social distance. They did a good job, and the, the, the city officials are keeping an eye on everything, and parents are doing the right thing. So it's, it's going well. And just keep praying that these things will be over with and things can get back to normal, Lord willing. But if not, that's all right. My faith will not be hindered by this. I will keep on keeping on for the Lord. Well, if you're uh, listening to this program and uh, you haven't been to our website, I want to encourage you to take a look at that after this program or when you get home. That's going to be at www.nvcoc.net. You can find find out about this congregation here at North Valley. You can scroll down to the radio mic, click on that, where you'll find this program and all the subsequent programs before it. Not subsequent, but all the previous programs before it. And today, <clears throat> I want us to talk about hope, having hope. And I want to share with us something we know. more. Everyone out there listening more and likely knows and, and uh, reads their Bibles. And, and you know that Jesus is our friend. He is. Now, he is our friend in the true sense of what a friend is. And that is God's promise to us, that you and I have a Savior who really understands us and wants to help us. That's a friend. Now, I kind of worked in my mind about, you know, how am I going to word this promise? I looked it up online and see what other people have uh, done and talked to others. And I found several. And the promise is based on a passage from Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to read that in just a moment. It's where Jesus is called our High Priest, <clears throat> and and I think that's another that's another word that we sometimes we're just we may know it, but maybe we're unfamiliar with. If I were to ask you what is a High Priest, you might be able to give me a few facts, maybe, but it's still a clinical term. You know what is it exactly? And so. I I, I toy with a couple of ideas, uh, different descriptions for this promise. You know, like, you have a God who understands you and can help you. Or, you have a mediator, you have a friend. But I like this one I found online. It's simple, to the point. You have a Savior who understands you and can help you. That really defines a friend. And I want us to know that today's lesson, this program... Along with the next few, are going to contain promises that will assist us in winning the spiritual battle over our enemy, the devil. Now, I I like illustrations, and I want to start off with an illustration. It started in 2008, an afternoon, an April afternoon. And two college women's softball teams, one from Oregon, one from Washington, they were squaring off on a very important game. The winner is going to advance to the division playoffs. The loser, well, they'll have to pack up and go. Now, the Western Oregon Wolves were a sturdy team. They fielded several strong batters. But Sarah, I think her last name is uh, Toklowski, she was not one of the strong batters. She had a hitting percentage of 153 and was playing in the game only because the first string right fielder had made a big error earlier in the game and she was benched, I guess is what they call it in baseball. Now, Sarah had never hit a home run, but on that day, with two runners on base, she hit that softball, sent it sailing over a left field fence. Man, in her excitement, right? She forgot to touch first base. She missed it. Now, she didn't get too far. Her coach shouted for her to return and touch the base. She did that. On her, When she almost got back to first base, something popped in her knee, and down she went. Now, she dragged herself over to first base, but, man, she had to pull her knee up to her chest in pain, and she asked the first base coach what to do. Sarah knew. But if she tried to stand, she would collapse. She knew she had to get around the bases to home plate for the run to count and for them to go ahead in the game. She knew that if any of Sarah's teammates assisted her, she would be out. And so the game was on hold as Sarah stayed at first base and the empires huddled together. Now, We're going to get more on that story in a little bit, but I want to stop there, because at this point, this illustrates how we have spiritually tripped, spiritually fallen, and how helpless we are to get from where we're at to where we need to be. We have a lot in common with Sarah. We have stumbled, not in baseball, but we've stumbled in life, right? In our uh, morality, our honesty, our integrity. I'm sure we've done our best. But we only trip and fall. We will fall. Our finest efforts will always leave us flat on our backs. And like Sarah, we're weakened. Uh, Not on torn ligaments, but on broken hearts, weary spirits, fading vision, whatever it might be. The distance between where we are and where we need to be is impassable. It can't happen. What do we do? Where do we turn? And so I want to point our attention to one of the great promises found in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We need to realize that we have a high priest who is able to understand. Since he understands, we find mercy and we find grace when we need it. When we fall, we aren't left to languish. When we stumble, we are not abandoned. It's a great thought. This one right here, that our Savior understands us, that He gets us. You know, theologians discuss this truth and promise by employing a term you've probably heard, incarnation. You know that word? Incarnation. What does that mean? The incarnation is that spectacular truth that God became one of us. Remember from John chapter one, verse 14 in the gospel? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. God in the flesh. That's Jesus of Nazareth. He was miraculously conceived, and yet he was naturally delivered. His natural birth was just like yours, just like mine. Now, he was born of a virgin, but he was both God and man at the same time. How do we wrap our minds around that? Neither his humanity nor his deity would be compromised. And so Jesus was fully human and fully divine. Amazing. And because of that first, him being human, we can draw near. And because of that second... Because of him being divine, we can worship him. That's, that's interesting. Paul gives us a little insight into the incarnation in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, where he says this, or he wrote this. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And so, we understand that not a drop of divinity was lost in Jesus' transition to humanity. Though Jesus appeared human, and he was 100% human, he was flesh, he was also God, divine. The fullness of God, every bit of God, was in and was Christ. Also in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Jesus may have looked Human, but those nearest him knew; they knew he was more than human because he was prone to divine exclamations and actions. Every so often, Jesus allowed his divinity to manifest itself, like the time in Matthew chapter eight. You may remember that. That's where Jesus and his disciples they were in that boat on the Sea of Galilee. Remember they were crossing that lake and Jesus was tired so he goes down below in the boat and he falls asleep and a great storm comes right it began the waves begin to hit the boat it's rocking it this way and that and and many of those d- disciples they were fishermen they've been on the sea they understood how boats work and, and how to deal with things and they were scared for their lives so it was bad they were scared and they go down, so Jesus must have been pretty tired, right, to sleep through all that. So they go down, and they wake up Jesus, because they were afraid. And Jesus gets up, he gets out there, and he rebukes the wind. He, he, the winds and the waves, they stop immediately. It becomes calm. That was Jesus manifesting his divine nature. He's He can do the miraculous like that. And his disciples, they had no... No option but to step back and ask this in Matthew 8, 27. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Wow. Isn't that amazing? I think to help us, to help illustrate this, what I'm saying here, what's going on here, is uh, imagine, I want to use myself I mentioned, I go down here to Dynamite Park. There's a basketball court there, and I start playing basketball. Now, I don't watch NBA basketball much anymore, so I don't know the players. So, I don't... I'm just going to pick the only guy I know that's playing basketball. LeBron... Let's say i go down there, and LeBron James, a big basketball player who's you know supposedly really, really good in the NBA, he's down there, he's playing, and, and so... I say, hey, you want to play together? He goes, sure. And let's say he and I begin to play basketball. And I've I've read stories where people have run on the other basketball players and they've always, they always play at a level where that other person can play. Because if he and I, LeBron James and I played basketball together, I would never get a shot off. I wouldn't keep the ball longer than two seconds and it would just be a blowout. Well, let's say he just plays kindly, so I can play. But in the course of playing, he just lets loose, takes two steps, jumps up, and just slams that ball into into the uh, the net. There is nothing I could do. That was him manifesting his real ability to me. Although he was being kind <laughs> in the forefront. that's Jesus with his disciples. He could with the whole world. He could snap his fingers and just wipe the world out, give it what it deserves to be wiped out. But he never does that. And when he does manifest his divinity, he does it in a good, kind way. That is our Lord. That is Jesus. That is our friend. And so, I think that's how how obvious the difference is between Jesus and everyone else. In those moments when he would display his divinity, he commanded demons to... Leave a possessed person. And they did. He told the storm they would keep quiet. It was. He told the dead man to rise up and the dead daughter to sit up. And the entombed Lazarus came out. And they did. And no wonder, no wonder that nobody argued with Jesus in Matthew twenty-eight eighteen when he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's true. If I was standing there, yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Because it is, obviously. And in spite of Jesus' lofty position and unlimited power, he was willing for a time to forego the privileges of his divine nature and enter humanity. Born as all babies are born. His childhood was a common one as far as we know. His body developed, his muscles strengthened, his bones matured, all in a normal fashion. There is no evidence, there is no suggestion that he would spare the inconveniences of the awkwardness of adolescence and things of that nature. I'm sure he experienced the, the normal pains of, uh, of an earthly body, like the pain of muscle soreness, the sting of, of salt perhaps in an open wound. As an adult, <clears throat> he was weary enough that he needed to sit down at the well. Remember the, in John chapter 4 with the Samaritan woman, he sat down, he was weary, he, he wanted water. He was sleepy enough to doze off in a rocking boat there in Matthew 8. We just talked about that. He became hungry in the wilderness. He was thirsty on the cross. And when he was crucified, those nails brought excruciating pain. And I'm sure his lungs begged. For oxygen. And so the word became flesh. And why does why does that truth matter so much to us? Because we know that because Jesus became like us, he understands us, he can help us. Perhaps we wonder, oh, does God understand us? Well, we can know He does when we read the Bible. Does God will God listen to us? We can know He does if we read the Bible. What if God can't comprehend the challenges we face? But we know He can. We know if we read the Bible, the promise of Hebrews four fifteen is that Jesus, our High Priest, is able to understand our weaknesses. He understands our physical pains he understands our spiritual struggles because <clears throat> he had a human body he had had to deal with spiritual battles with the evil one while leaving, living in this world think about your struggles and how he faced the same are are we ever are you ever troubled in your spirit so was he john chapter 12 verse 27 you, you go look it up are are you ever so anxious that you could die so was he Matthew 26, verse 38. Are you ever overwhelmed by grief? John chapter 11, verse 35, look it up. Have you ever prayed with loud cries and tears? So did Jesus. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. He was so human, and yet he was also so divine. He was so human, Jesus could touch his people. But was so mighty, he could could heal them. He was so human, he could use earthly words, but was so heavenly, he spoke with authority. So human, he could blend in, unnoticed in this world for 30 years. But was so divine, that he could change history, and be unforgotten for over 2,000 years. Think about these words again from Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Awesome. Some, looking at this verse, have pointed to the sinlessness of Jesus. And they have questioned his ability to fully understand you, or, or for him to fully understand us, humans. And they reason this. They say, if he never sinned, then how can he understand the full force of sin? Well, before we jump to that conclusion, consider how how that Jesus may have felt the force of sin even more than we do. We, you and I, we give in to sin. He never did. You see, it is much harder and more painful to resist temptation than it is to give in to it. Jesus stood before the tsunami of temptation, and he never wavered. When we think about it like that, then I think we can conclude that he understands it more than anyone else ever did. It's like this: I want to use the, an illustration that just simple, like a, a bully. This is not about sin. Just I think, but you'll you'll get it. I think. You know, imagine you're going to school. Say you're in elementary or middle school, and you're on your way to school, and every day, this is I'm pulling this from. Um, the Andy Griffith show with little Opie and every day he would go to school on his way there a bully would turn around the corner and say you got my money? he wanted his lunch money he didn't he said well what if I don't give it to you? and that bully raised up his fist I'll give you a knuckle sandwich so Opie would pull out his money and give him his lunch money or milk money and it was easier to give him the money right? than to take what was going to happen. So he would give in to it. And then finally one day he didn't. And he got punched, but he punched the other kid back. And he fought him off. And he won. It was hard, it was harder to resist, but he won the day. It is always harder to resist. Because when sin comes, it's it's just so much easier just to give in, just do it. Given the peer pressure to look like everyone else in the world, it's hard to resist. Jesus understands better than you and I. And on top of that, think about the fact that He volunteered to experience the total consequences of sin. Paul wrote in Second Corinthians chapter five, verse twenty-one: He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Why? So that we might become The righteousness of God in him. Jesus didn't deserve to feel the shame of sin, but he felt it. He didn't deserve the humiliation, but he experienced it. He had never sinned, yet he was treated like a sinner and punished like a sinner. He became sin for us. And all the guilt and all the remorse and the shame and the embarrassment was laid on him. So, does Jesus understand us or our struggle with sin? Yes, he does. And why does that matter? It matters because as sinners, we need to know that we are are, are welcome to approach our Savior, our High Priest, when we are in need. And that promise from Hebrews 4, verse 16, says that because Jesus has been tempted in every way, then we can approach the throne of grace with boldness knowing that we will receive mercy and find grace in order to help us at that time of need. Because Jesus was human, he understands us. Because Jesus is divine, he can help us. He's in a unique position to help us in our time of need and to carry us home. Right? So let's go back to our story from the beginning, that softball story, with Sarah. remember she's She's there right before the first plate, clutching her knee. And I want to tell us what Miss Holtman did. She was on the other team. And so she walks over to the umpires, and she says, can I help her around the bases? Now, Sarah's teammates aren't allowed to do that, but maybe she could. And some of the other umpires were looking at her questioning, but one of them said, well, why not? And so she didn't give them a chance to change their minds, and she just went over there, motioned over for the shortstop to come help her, and they picked up Sarah and walked her to each base and let her touch it with her feet all the way to home, knowing that by doing this, chances were her team was going to lose. Holt Miss Ms. Holman was going to lose and have to go home, but she did it because of compassion. She saw a need. Sarah couldn't do it anymore, but she could help. Awesome. And that's the point for you and me. God promises to do the same for us. He's going to pick us up and help us do the one thing we cannot do. We don't deserve it, but He does it for us. He wants to take us home, but will we let Him? Can't make it on our own, but Jesus has the strength. That we do not he is our savior he is our high priest and he not only understands us he knows us and so we need to let him do what he does best reign in heaven and in our hearts and let him take us home and just like last week I want to give you an assignment again this week. I want us to write that promise I've been giving you on a piece of paper and put it where you will see it every day. The promise is, I have a Savior who understands me and will help me. We need to go ahead and approach God's throne with boldness because we know. That we will find mercy. We will find grace that will help us in our times of need. We just need to not give up. And don't listen to the devil. Resist him and he will flee from you. Cling to the Lord. He will never let go of you. But if you want to walk away, you can. But it's not advisable. Remember the promise. I appreciate you staying here with me uh, this afternoon. We're going to go ahead and close things out. I want to remind you to go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. Scroll down, click on that radio mic. You'll find this program, all the previous ones. And if you have any comments or questions, there's a form on our website where you can send those in. We encourage you to do that. Thank you. And God bless and be careful out there, but always remember who's really in charge. It is God. Redeem the time, folks. Sin and to sweep away till on the better day. Ring it out, ring it out, ring, ring it out, ring it out, till the sinful world be won for Jehovah's mighty Son. Ring it out, ring it out, ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.